I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. But sometimes even when I remember to do research for stuff for the top of the 80s, yeah, it was. It was just not as exciting, not as diverse, not as colourful as it is now. It's definitely, um, it's way, way better. Hello and welcome to A Life in Dublin. I'm your host, Mark, and with your permission, we'd love this podcast to be your digital companion for the next little bit at least. Brian McMahon comes from Dundalk in County Louth, just north of Dublin. 13 years ago, not so long after Brian's father passed away, he digitalised a family photograph from the 1960s and to his delight was amazed by the quality of the newly digitalised image but also the nostalgia that he had managed to encapsulate online. Since then, Brian has digitalised over 3,000 images, adverts and articles of Dublin and Ireland, posting them on his blog Brand New Retro or in his monthly column in Totally Dublin magazine. For a long time I've wanted to talk to someone about how the culture of Dublin has changed and evolved over the years and when I got to know Brian I thought he was the perfect guy to speak to. We chat about music, nightlife, opportunities and a lot more. If you're interested in seeing old images of Ireland and the people who lived here then I really recommend checking out Brian's blog Brand New Retro. You'll find a link in the description of this episode. Thanks a mil for listening guys. Remember sharing this podcast with a friend, leaving a rating or a review can be so incredibly helpful to us. So we'd really appreciate that support if you're willing. But now here's my conversation with Brian from County Louth, Ireland. It's a bit different to your bike. So your bike, obviously, we're looking at it now. It's a, it's a proper mountain bike mm-hmm. with suspension and stuff like that. Mine would have a similar frame, a little bit lighter maybe, and it would have the racing wheels. But it's the same um, handlebars. So it's not a racing bike. Yeah. It's what they call a hybrid bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love it for the city because it's quick, but... It's also easy to to cycle. You know, obviously, yeah. if you were cycling a proper racing bike, you're down very low. Yeah. Um, it's more difficult to maneuver, and it's not great for like going in and out of traffic. No, no, I don't like it. It's, yeah. Um, but I I think during the pandemic, I uh, I lost the habit. I lost mm. the routine of cycling places. Okay. Um. And I have an awful habit of like now we're six minutes walking from the dart station here 
and I can just hop into town yeah. very easily yeah. and quickly on the dart. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I have to get back into the routine of just cycling. Absolutely, yeah, it's, it's routine. I, funny, at the opposite, I got into the habit of walking more than a lot now, I think. Mm. And whereas in the past, I might have said, it's a 20 minute walk. I'd get on the bike and be there in 10 minutes. I'm happy to walk now. I think I realised, you know, things don't always have to, you know, there was less of a, a need to, you know, with more time essentially. So the walking, so I do more walking, definitely. Just from A to B, this was a bit too far to walk, but yeah, if you'd sure. been a mile, two mile away, I probably would say I'll walk. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. They say it's good for you. Um, for people who, who are listening, I'm going to kind of introduce how we got to know each other. Hmm. So, uh, Monica, who you know, um, my partner, my fiance, um, runs a, a secondhand clothing thing, a sustainable clothing, mm-hmm. a little business, and she often goes to markets and um, various ones around Dublin, which are amazing. Um, great fun. You get to meet amazing people at them as well. And she met you at one of these markets where um, you were, you know, selling different things, let's say retro things, mm-hmm. records and old books and magazines and things like that. Um, and then I think, was it last week or two weeks ago, she also, you were DJing at, uh, so this is kind of another little side hobby of your mm-hmm. DJing at one of her, her pop-ups. So you've got a very interesting background, interesting hobbies. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, which came first? The, the the magazines, the records, or the DJing, or or what was it? <laughs> uh, I think probably all came together. I mean, I've always, even when I was younger, I I had a fascination with say fifties, sixties, um, sort of style, mm. uh, particularly the ads mm-hmm. and, and that you know, and uh, I think. I I'm probably I guess I'm probably one of your role um interviewees on the podcast series, so I, I grew up in as a, as a kid in the sixties, you know, and yeah. it was a very exciting time, you know, uh, it was it kind of was the era of the teenager, although I wasn't yet a teenager. You yeah. could see, sort of the certainly the urbanisation of Ireland, okay. you know, a move away from the traditional agricultural, uh, like I grew up in Dundalk, which had. Uh, big manufacturing um, industries like Carol Cigarettes, Hap Lager, mm. Clark Shoes. Clark Shoes employed over mm. a thousand people at one time. Wow. Um, and then other factories that kind of got investment from America like Echo. <clears throat> and mm. so <clears throat> it's, and you know, it was, it was a time where <clears throat> people of my parents' generation suddenly, uh, working class, you know, but suddenly had a little bit of disposable income, maybe, and they could afford to get it, maybe a, a motorbike, mm. and then they had independence to travel, mm. and then maybe later a car. <clears throat> mm. And, you know, the so 60s was the first time that immigration uh, kind of stopped in Ireland. Okay. The 50s was a brutal time, you know. Mm. You know, you look, in the 50s in Ireland, so many people emigrated then, and there's so many families, like in um, England, for example, you can relate to that, like the Oasis, you know, the Gallagher brothers, their parents left then, mm. Smiths, Manchester, they, they mm. moved over there as well. You know, there's loads of, uh, <clears throat> yeah, you know, by George's family, um, uh, Shane McGann, you know. Wow, yeah. sisters. You forget. Yeah, so they, have like, and it could easily have been... Uh, myself because so many people emigrated there, so many families, you know, but my family didn't emigrate. Uh, but yeah, so growing up, um, even at that age, you know, I, I could see 
uh, you know, at that stage as well, it was the event of color TV, it's out of black television. So we were exposed to things that people before us wouldn't have seen, you know, programs and living in the dark, we could guess the TV channels from England, essentially, mm-hmm. because we were being beamed across to uh, Northern Ireland, to Newry. So mm-hmm. because we're on the border, we could get these programs that a lot of people in Ireland couldn't receive. This was before cable mm. and obviously before digital. And, you know, so... Um, so we things saw, like the BBC were coming in. Yes, yeah. And it was a big influence, you know, not just television, the radio, you know, we could hear the programs that, because our television was still very much, uh, you know, some good programs on it, but it, it um, wasn't as good as... What you could see, certainly if that's a child, you know, the mm. problems are better. So, so yeah, <clears throat> I think, and obviously, uh, growing up, um, music was a big part of my life. Uh, I was a big fan of music. I uh, bought, spent all my pocket money on r- records. Mm. I can imagine, I'm kind of curious now, like, what your, so when you say, like, things like the BBC started coming into Ireland and I guess other cultural influences, yeah. maybe, um, this was with the not the advent of the television but like televisions maybe becoming more common in the household or mm. you know oh, yeah. people spending time to watch it in the evening oh, yeah. and do you know or can you remember what your how your parents felt about that did they do they welcome it you know i'm just thinking to like yeah. these days where you know when there's like technological shifts like even with ai for example where people are a bit nervous they get mm. anxious about it i wonder were your parents feeling something similar when like when maybe they saw you watching television mm. and being influenced by, by British culture. Yeah, probably. They, they never said, like, and, uh, you know, you wouldn't be put to bed before a certain time, you mm. know. So yeah. uh, it was great if they went out and he sneaked out. <laughs> uh, but no, I think they were excited about it because it was opening a new world to them culturally as well. You know, that their, their, their parents before them didn't have. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, you know, buying a television was really expensive back then. You know, it was a big investment and there was a high risk that would break down. Mm. So yeah, and lots of people were renting TVs. Wow. Okay. You know, you know. And um but yeah, no, it must have been very exciting. Uh, and then we just took it for granted, you know, because uh, I'd say we were the, I was of the general first generation of children that grew up with it. Yeah. Uh, took it for granted and um it was a big influence, um, and yeah, interesting. There, there probably were, but there certainly wasn't anything in RTE really that to be too worried about. You know, it was mm. it was still very not censored, but certainly under regime that was still, you know, the this the state and the church still had a big say on what was happening there. You know, mm. uh, probably was still a big an anti English um, mm. programming as well. I think a lot of the imported programs were more from America than. Interesting. Uh, than English, you know, just yeah. that thing was still going on. So, um, so but but then of course, uh, you know, the magazines and that yeah, coming from England, you know, it was good to see Irish versions of those uh, were created as well, and, and they're I'm very interested in magazines from that time, where it, they're very. Um, they're kind of uniquely Irish, you know, they're Irish editors, contribu- contributors, publishing houses, you know, and uh, although they would have taken inspiration from abroad, you know, they had their own style. And, you know, so nowadays we'd have magazine or, or you know, the international photographs that were being reused in every country back then, you know, it was yeah. Irish models, 
Irish yeah. photographers um, and a lot of the case Irish products you know Ireland had this whole thing of being self-sufficient and making things really? at home you know yes it wasn't until that's changed yeah I, I loved it you know I, I did you know that we were very insular mm. you know we were very protected mm. uh, by trade tariffs and uh, the um and the rules of trading back then but we opened that up in the 60s you know and then yeah. the people we had to compete then and then so was 73 when we joined the european yeah, yes, that's right. yeah yeah or 71 maybe i'm not sure 71, yeah. i'll get mixed up this but it's early 70s you yeah. know and that that was a massive change as well yeah a good thing so i think what's good about that period for me is that people were finding a way to discover things and learning as they went along you know so bands music promoters you know record shops and all that you know the, mm. it wasn't as, as you know pop culture or teenage was a new thing you mm. know and obviously some people thought there was money to be made and got into businesses there but some people like yourself and that who were passionate about things and using that you know got into it and you can see through the fashion so things went from like very <clears throat> Wild dress, almost Beatles, like beat groups in the early 60s. Then by the late 60s, the hair grew longer, mm-hmm. the clothes got uh, more colourful, mm. wider. Uh, um, <clears throat> yeah, what the yeah, hell's that? Really. Like, you know, and you, it's lovely to see that change. You know, I to see it. You know, I think people uh, sometimes think that Ireland, you know, was always backward and mm. uh, not part of these kind of scenes, but... You know, I think Irish people wanted to have as much fun as anybody else. They might have been restricted a little bit, whether through censorship or church or just maybe lack of money. You know, mm. we weren't as well off as other countries. Uh, but it was there, you know, there was a, there was some cultures going on a little bit, you know. Indeed, but like <clears throat> that idea of people being very expressive and expressing themselves during that time, mm. um, Probably it was a minority. I, I'm just guessing. Yeah, it was a minority yeah. of people who had the. That, I don't want to say courage, but yeah. um, maybe the freedom to do that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say so. But I, I, I don't think that would be different say, in many other countries either. Like if you look at the yeah. swing in sixties in London, yeah, it was. But it's still, it's probably a relatively minority. Minority. Not yeah. maybe you know. I think it might be more. It would have been obviously more niche here, but yeah. But you know, it's, um, there was something there. There always would be people there. I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you think, like, the let's say the artists that came out of Dublin around that time, yeah, yeah or, or artists that came out of Dublin or Ireland at any particular time, yeah. it, you know, whether it's, you know, James Joyce way back, way back in the 1900s, early 1900s, or whether it's, you know, U2 in the 70s yeah. or Thin Lizzy, these types of groups. How much of an influence do you think that the place had on the creation of those. I guess my question is like, does the place create the art or doesn't really matter to a certain extent and those artists would have would have sprung up mm. no matter what? Oh, I think it does. I think the place, location, as well as time has a mm. big influence, but you're quite asked about location. Um, yeah, it's interesting that I, I think I think it does, you know, it, it's, um, it could even be the weather, you know, if we're not always out on the beach because we can't be, so maybe we're at home or so mm. you, you're going to get bored more easy. So you're going to try to do some creative to, mm. you know, to fill your space. You know, boredom would have been a, a, a big thing, I think, back then because it was less to do. So, but yeah, like if you look at my own examples, and we, as I said, we were an industrial town, I think that influence 
our music. Like mm. we, we, I, I started with a pop punk group, but it, we later became a post punk group and an electronic group. Mm. You know, and we weren't at the time really. It was you know post punk wasn't a thing then. It's just what was there. But that sound we had was similar to say groups like in Manchester, Sheffield particularly. So mm. we had the Human League, um, Capri Voltaire, and you know. So I think. And our place, um, like, and if you take you two, you know, so two would be the same age as me at the same time. And, you know, like, you can see their influences, where they were coming from. Um, but, you know, I think it was, they were in the Mount Temple School. And that, that like, that was so lucky for them to have a school that was so... Uh, encouraging I guess made spaces available from the rehearsal like I said it was yeah. a very few school in Ireland at the time but it would allow a, a rock group or a group that was having guitars and noisy stuff mm. you know if you're playing an accordion or a tin whistle I'm sure other schools were doing it but that was very progressive of the school and obviously you know you know the probably probably wouldn't have happened because trying to get rehearsal space and stuff like that back then was really difficult you know mm. there's rehearsal studios nowadays but back then now you had to use a drum a bedroom or a room or if somebody had had a garage great you know because uh it was loud yeah you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah you needed the patient yeah. for parents and things like that as well but i've heard that you've talked about it in in, in some of your other uh, interviews with people you talk about you know opportunities not opportunities but things that happen and you, it just happens and you have to go with it and mm. that's so true even if you look back at other groups and yeah. music and art that was produced you know and the, the, whether they you know the <clears throat> that time or that location was restrict, restrictive in many ways you know I think that forces the creativity mm. and the mindset mm-hmm. you know maybe to drive to maybe to move away to get out mm. you know yeah. because certainly in, in ireland you know the groups who had uh, in the 60s and 70s you know they if a record company was interested they, they nearly insisted that they move to england because there wasn't enough of a home base here to 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 warrant the investments yeah to get the sales so most groups if you want to make it so you'd like the rats the radiators from space you two even, you know, they had to move to London yeah. to try to make it, you know. I wonder, is that, that's not still the case necessarily, but... Yeah. Oh, well, you do have to get it, but it's an easier way you can do it from, you know, you can reach out. I don't think it's necessarily have to bring your group and go to London and be there anymore. Mm. You know, you can, uh, yes, well, you can you send. Know. I mean, like I guess the highly, yeah. like well recorded, absolutely amazing yeah, indeed, videos yeah. on YouTube yeah, or indeed, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. can do it by yourself. You can do a lot yourself. You know. Yeah. Which is great. You know, the the whole the thing that attracted me to the punk when it came out in seventy six, seventy seven. Um, it was more of that energy, that more DIY ethos. Mm. That you can do it because up until then I was a big fan of music, was buying records, but I never thought for a minute that I would able to play the guitar i didn't think uh well first of all couldn't i was never caught a guitar couldn't afford one there whatever mm. but um and i assumed you would have to be like virtuoso to yeah to do because all the music up to then you know people were really good musicians and that but punk along says no it's more about ideas it's about uh your delivery your attitude and you know and get up and do it and you know that's what I did it you know lucky I got a, a summer job in a pea factory in England you know when I was 17 and I made a pea factory a, yes uh, you know 
harvesting half of the peas, yeah, and then they would uh, tend them or they would freeze them. No way. You know, yeah, it's a place called Smedley's. When you so, were 17? Yes, yeah, I lied about my age. I had to be 18 to get into yeah. it. <laughs> uh, it was great because I went to England. What part of England was it? It was in Norfolk, very flat, uh, close okay. to Norwich, close to uh, Bury St. Edmunds, I think. Okay. Um, Norwich, Ipswich, that area. Um, if I'm not, that's on the East Coast, correct? It is, yeah. yeah. It's just across from Holland, really. So it's, it has that similar oh, landscape, wow. very, very flat. Okay. You know? Uh, wow. Yeah. So a very new market race course there as well, which is very flat. Too. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, so that's, and look, so at the time it was right for me, they did got, so I had the money and then I could buy a bass guitar and then I realised I had to buy an app as well. Mm. <laughs> Especially the bass. Yeah, I honestly thought you could just plug it into the wall. That's how naive I was. Yeah. You know, but, you know, like groups like the Ramones and the Radiators, you know, you could learn their songs but I really quickly. So it was instant gratification. You're like, wow, you know. You know, those songs were so simple, but... You, were, were you buying, like, books to learn those songs? No, you or? just listen to it then, you oh, know, wow. yeah, and, yeah. I mean, difficult. Yeah, but those songs were easy, so it was good. If you went out to a harder song, yes, and I couldn't read music anyway, so... Mm. And that's why I think nowadays when you, you know, want to learn something, like you go to YouTube and it's, it's great, it's there, and you can get songs where they, you know, somebody is doing it and they've, they've stripped it down to just the bass. It's amazing, you know. It's unbelievable. And... Uh, I still sometimes have to sort of say, "Wow, you know." But I, I, I learned to play the guitar when I, when, when I was growing up, and um, I this was let's let's say Web one point so it was you know, yeah. but I could get like the tabs or the chords oh, yeah, online. Yeah, yeah. But now, um, I used a, a website at the time called Ultimate Guitar, and they have an app now and it's amazing because I started like, oh, I'm going to pick up the guitar a little bit more again. And mm. um, kind of fallen off the wagon a bit, but um, you get the app and you can get the tabs, but you can also see, you can watch people upload videos of themselves playing the song. So sometimes you're like, okay, what rhythm should I play this? And you, you can literally just copy the person. Yeah. And it's, it's not easy to learn. It's not easy to play an instrument, yeah. but it's so much easier than it used to be Absolutely, compared yeah. to even your time. Yeah. You're listening by ear. Or, or I don't think I could have done that. Well, replaying the record over and over, you know, and mm. getting it, you know. Yeah, that must have taken hours. Yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> um, but as I said, so the songs were simple, you know. Yeah. Three chords, sometimes four chords on the bass. That was just three notes. So, yeah, you know, bass is if the I think uh, well, I think it's the best instrument anyway because it's got the groove. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I would strip every record down to just the bass and the drums and the singing if need be. Yeah, uh, the rest are all like the icing on the cake a little bit. But um, mm. bet, yeah, bass is uh, greatest, but it's also. You know, there's so many great songs out there that have simple bass lines that you can learn mm, quickly. Yeah. Well, I've been. Yeah, and as you say, very funky ones too. Oh, yeah, 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 I yeah. love the bass as well. I, wish, I, I don't know why. If I could go back, I think I'd, yeah. I'd love to play the bass. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, playing, you need to be in a band. Like It's it's unusual just to play the bass, I think. You know? On your own, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, but it's quite uh, and that's the other thing. It's just because you were talking there about mm. location. You know, now it is. I remember you could... Nearly say like like every group you can know where 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 they were from. So like remember imagine Human League, Sheffield, you know, uh, Smiths, Manchester. You know where, whereas now it's it's not that that geography isn't there because the groups are meeting at university. 
Yeah. You know, so That's they're true. coming from many places. So they don't have a geographical location. Really, most of them don't the way it used to be, you know, mm. because um, like you two didn't go to college either, you know, whereas pros nowadays that probably would be unheard of, you know. Mm. Uh, you know, so groups for younger then, and I think better for that. That yeah. sort of that naivety, honest. that they're honest, and that your drive is greater. And, and it's mm. you know, by the time you get, I guess, through college and all that, you uh, you're probably more mature and stuff like that. But there is that rawness, it's, it's the edges have been uh, smoothed out a little mm. bit. So, there's yeah. um, like for me, like I, I guess, discovering through, through this project, I've gotten to know some. Um, groups and artists that are you know playing around Dublin and I guess up and coming we'll say or um, it's given me a little bit of hope to a certain extent because I uh, lost a little bit of faith uh, in music maybe probably with, with the fault of, of Spotify mm-hmm. uh, my fault yeah, not, not using you're not using it well like it just yeah. became like I was listening to the same stuff over and over again and then I started thinking oh, there's no new music there's no yeah. original it's all the same but that was my purely my own fault and I just had to get down and find another way mm-hmm. to discover it because yeah. in the past you'd go to HMV or Golden Disc yeah. you'd, you'd look at the charts you'd look you're like you look alphabetically you're like you know you could look at a cover you'd be like wow that sounds cool or looks cool let's have a listen and you'd listen to the full album you'd listen to let's call it the the, the filler songs or the yeah. crap crap songs and um, that maybe in two or three months you end up loving because yeah. sometimes they grow like you. i mean exactly they grow on you when is the last time a song has grown on you because probably we don't give it the chance anymore True. um at least from, from my own point yeah. of view um so that's kind of sad but uh, at the same time, I've gotten to know some of these these guys and girls playing mm. music around Dublin, and it's it's yeah, great. Yeah. Like, and I, I love their influences oh, as well. Yeah, They're yeah. influenced by by music from what you're talking about from the sixties, the seventies, yeah. even the fifties. There's, um, it's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I don't know how that's happened. I guess things come in circles. Yeah, oh no, definitely in music it, it does, and. Um... Yeah, no, I think I think the younger people, the new, the new music is great. You know, there's I totally agree. Um, there's plenty out there, and it's you know, um, the good thing is you know it's well, I mean it's all it's so accessible as well. You know, it is so it's and that's good. You know, because um, I know that's I've I've no um, I've no I certainly don't hold anything about you know. Uh, why would I say opinions that you know music was better in the old days or like that? You know, I don't necessarily agree with that. Mm. You know, um, I actually, I even no, I, in some ways I think you no, know, it's it's better now in many ways. You know, because back then it was certainly in the sixties and seventies, and it was certainly in Ireland in the eighties. I think we're very rock. Mm. You know, I th- I think um, punk happened and there was a big change in seventy uh, late seventies. It was a good scene. And then the 80s, you know, there was very little um, music other than rock music in Dublin, mm. you know, and in, in the few clubs that were there, mm. it was either the pop or, you know, there was there was none sort of the folk or the disco really mm-hmm. uh, in the clubs. Um, and it wasn't until, I think, the beginning of the next decade, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, that 
uh, people started up and a little bit more taking in influences. Um, you know, and a lot of that, I think, was the groups, you know, the record companies were looking for another U2. Mm. So um, a lot of groups were in that mold, yeah. you know, at that time, yeah. you know. So compared with, say, other countries, you don't have a lot of, uh, like my own group that I was in, we 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 had um, a choice. We we, uh, we had drum machine since, and a uh, female singer, you know, and, uh, um, and we had some success, you know. Um, what was the name of the group? Uh, that was that group was called Choice. Okay, you know, and f- f- we didn't get a record or anything, but we got a record out uh, about. Ten years ago, when oh. uh, Darren McCreesh, uh, a producer from uh, Ireland, he put together a compilation of post-punk and electronic songs that were kind of forgotten, mm. uh, and he featured a, choice, a track by Choice on it. Uh, yeah, so and it was on a good record label, uh, uh, Finders Keepers, you know, Manchester label. So yeah. it was, and that record is is. Um, a compilation album, so we got out and we got out on vinyl, albeit what thirty or so years later. Yeah, but a little bit of validation, right? A bit of validation, yeah, indeed, and it was nice. Um, and from it, we got a few gigs. We re, we re, uh, we got back together. Oh, man! You know, yeah, for it, and we played electric picnic as well in the oh, body wow. and soul section. So that was that was really nice to meet up with uh, the guys from and Jackie from uh, the group, uh, because in the eighties, like in that group. Like a lot of my friends in the 80s, uh, the two other uh, people in the group, Jackie and CV, emigrated uh, to London and, and moved to London and mm. only came back there in, in about 15 years ago, I think, mm. 20 years ago maybe. So they, they've lived over there, like a lot of people who I knew from that age, who emigrated mostly to London or mostly to uh, New York, you know. Mm. So that's why I enjoyed in your series, you're talking to people who've moved to Ireland. Mm. It was really interesting, you know. I would have, would have known the stories of the Irish people when they emigrated, integrated and into the cities there. So it's it's really I, I, I think it's really interesting what uh, some of the conversations you have with people and hear yeah. that viewpoint. I guess it's a challenge, right? And I, I'm interested to talk to people who have had, uh, mm, but it's not a challenge in that there's no like it's not like you're facing any immediate dangers or anything like that you're not going to war or anything but <laughs> yeah. um it is it's a, a challenge i guess starting anything new um but often doing that as an adult whether it's forced upon you like it would have been for a lot of irish people who left um find work or whatever it might have been or if it's a choice um i think you do come face to face with some I don't want to say demons but like some hard things to get over like yeah. whether it's making friends whether it's finding jobs and all the rest of that um, it's it's difficult mm. and I think without the support of people like yesterday I was talking to a couple actually from um, Madrid who moved here in January and they're moving back next month and I was like, oh, I was like, we we'd planned on staying here much longer, but we've just had such bad experience with accommodation that we uh, that we're we're moving. We can't yeah. we can't be. But they probably have a terrible opinion of Ireland, or um, not opinion of Ireland, but they definitely haven't enjoyed this experience here. And I asked them like, do you know anybody here? And they were like, no. Um, and that to me is one of the reasons why I tried to start this project is because if they 
I'm not, it's no guarantee. Obviously, accommodation is terrible here, but uh, there's no guarantee that they would have gotten something better. But I think knowing people always helps or having like, yeah, like another friend who, who will listen to you or whatever it might be, meet you for a coffee or yeah. whatever it is. Um, without that, it can be really hard sometimes. Yeah, I can imagine. When yeah. you went to Spain, did, did you know people over there at that time? Um, no, no, no. Um, so, um, yeah, I, it took me a while to, yeah. to get to know people. Um, and then also I had to learn the language, which again, yeah. people moving here have that similar Absolutely, yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, so that makes it extra difficult to be perfectly honest. Um, but a very valuable experience all the same. Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't change it for the, the world. The, um, I mean, it's true, like when, you know, when people do emigrate from Ireland or certainly in the 80s and that, you know, they did tend to end up in the the neighbourhoods where there was other Irish people, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it'd be good and bad to, to, towards that. But I think, I think that naturally happens as well. You know, you do need support when mm. you're uh, finding your way. And, mm. uh, but luckily for me, I didn't have to emigrate, you know, mm. really lucky and... Uh, so when um, you were in England, it was just for the summertime. Oh, that oh yeah, that was for summer work. That was when I was seventeen. Yeah, so mm. got worked there for two or three months mm. when the harvest season was on. Mm. You know, that's interesting. It was yeah, I was good back then. I think the in working in the UK then up to a certain point, you didn't have to pay tax, so the money was good. You know, it was great. Right. And the, the provider accommodation, like it was like army barracks type, lean to kind mm. of sheds, but it was, it was good. You know, yeah, you work, probably had a good time. Yeah, like it funny at the time there was still a lot of anti-Irish sentiment over there, so mm. we were always warned about going out at night time. Oh wow! And there was incidents where people were beaten up coming up from the pub at that, you know. Wow. So Jeez. I was young, so I was careful. I uh, my brother was with me. That's the reason I got there. He was older, and I kind of went in with him. Yeah. At the last minute, been like my my age, he'd he'd done all the the groundwork and getting it set up, but. No, I, I said, oh, the great, save somebody now, get buy a guitar or whatever, mm. bass or whatever. And uh, didn't work that much, you know. So when you were um, playing, uh, was it, I don't know if it was Choice yeah. that you played with initially yeah. at first or it was other groups or whatever. But when you started playing with, with in the band, yeah. um, you know, you were into the, the punk lifestyle um, and things <laughs> like that. Where... Where were the where were the haunts the punk? Uh, uh, yeah. Where would you hang out as a, as a? Oh yeah, well we were based in the dog cell then, and yeah. uh, yeah, the first group was called NRG. NRG, great, yeah, yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we got some gigs in Dublin, you know, some place in Dublin, uh, and the next group was called the Scheme, who were uh, uh, post punk, and actually the Scheme played with you two in the Deadline Market in wow. nineteen seventy nine. Wow, yeah, uh, all the places we played back then was McGonagall's, which. Is uh, off South Ann Street. Yeah. yeah. If you look at it, it's, it's in fairness, it was a great venue. It did hosted bands back then. And uh, the Magnet was a barn on Pierce Street. Not there was a new Magnet I know of now in Thomas Street. It was not that one. Um, Where about St. Pierce Street was it? Uh, oh, it was a good bit down. You know, it was a bit of a walk out from town. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, and it did a room upstairs. So the hair that out. That's typically where people are great. So it was another place called Moran's Hotel, which is still there on Gardner Street, Talbot Street there, okay. in the basement there. Mm-hmm. And bands like the Radiators and the Booptown Rats would have paid there. 
den tidligere zip lærer du nok before the blade and dropper der koncert i Tierra Park in 1977. Wow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, they, they were the hunts. You know, we come up like it was 50 miles from Dark, it's 50 miles from Belfast, 50 miles from Dublin. So we either the train was expensive and it wasn't the same public transport as regards private buses and that I was seeing. So, so we thumb lifts up a lot of the time. Mm. We come up if we weren't to something going to gigs and we were going to gigs and sleeping in Stephen's Green in the summertime. Wow. You know, it was hard enough getting over those fences. <laughs> That'd be easier, but and then somebody had the sense to bring a sleeping bag. I remember I didn't, you know, so even the summer nights it would get cold. I imagine. Yeah. You know, but uh, around there, um, where else? TV Club was another place we got gigs uh, and the Dandelion Market, you know, and actually funny thing about Dandelion Market is it's just, you know, you were at the um, Bohemia Flea yeah. in Flimsborough. That's in a garage. Yeah. In the Daniel Market, there was a very similar garage, and that's where really? bands played. That's where YouTube played, mm. where we played. And is it uh, the Dandelion Market that is like where it's beside Stephen's Green Shop? It's actually where Stephen's Green Shop Center is now. Yeah. yeah. So um, we did like I did um, a market with with Monica there yeah. at Christmas a couple. Let me last year, and a man came up and he was saying that he used to go to the cinema there. Yeah, it was still there too, yeah. Really? Yeah, there was. <laughs> there you go. There. I remember going, there was, I don't know what's all right as well. Uh, waiting, you know, the couple arrived in the early afternoon. I think we had a gig that night and sometime to go. Yeah, so there's still there. Lots of cinemas in Dublin that are uh, long closed now. Uh, and uh, So, yeah, so that that, that was Dublin. And, um, but as regards compared to I mean there was venues then and the discos and stuff like that though I mean at the same time as, as punk happened disco happened as well I, got, I love disco because mm. of the bass yeah. you know and um, I kind of moved in that direction a little bit myself um, but the nightclubs and all that were, were pretty uh, weren't great you know mm. um, music would be popped there were very very few nightclubs had a bar extension as well, you know, so they had to serve wine to get an extension. Okay. You know, so there's no drink. I mean, I write, I've written about this on the blog Brand New Retro. Mm. And I have a whole chronological uh, timeline of what clubs opened, you know, because up in the 60s it was all uh, uh, ballrooms and showbands and then discotheques came in mm. in the late 60s. And, you know, there's a couple of big ones in uh, Dublin's uh, and uh, Chivago are two big ones you know really big clubs you know but again Donny had wine to sell and you, you had to sell food and you had to have a meal to get in so people would dress up for it almost like as if they're going to work in an office with shirt and tie and uh, their Sunday best so and the store policy was very uh, strict you know, yeah. and, you know if they didn't like the look of you or there's no way you were going to get in for yeah. strict rules or if your accident if you're drug accident or wrong part of Dublin mm. no way were you getting in and it was a whole membership thing as well in order for them to serve the wine had to be a club so you had to be a member okay. and then, although they let some people in if they weren't they, if you didn't like the look of you you'd say no it's members only to like mates or you know wow. on your way so and even into the 80s although you know Sap and I Fever came mm. there in 70 77 I think you know there was a real interest in discos and the boom picked up and sort of more clubs to see was still very poor I think uh, you know mm. I remember coming up and uh, 
Dublin in the eighties was it, it has a bad rep, but it was it was pretty miserable. You know, mm-hmm. people had emigrated, young know, people there. There was everywhere closed. That when the pub shut, very few people placed it open later there. Very few good places. Mm. If you did stay at that, it was impossible there to get taxi home. Mm. It was the night bus service and nothing like what it is now. But I mean, uh, it was dangerous as well. Like it was not just dummy on the streets. Like at this goes and that. And this wasn't just a double thing all around Ireland. There'd be obvious violence, there'd be fights. Mm. People just had to look fights. So it was, well, it wasn't like this The fact that there was no work. No work, and it was, I think, pent up frustration with everything, you know. Yeah. You know, um, you know uh, homosexuality was still illegal, and, you know. Yeah. And, you know, the uh, the referendum on the, the amendment and all that, you know, that happened in 83, I think. Mm. So, uh, like, I live in the dark. I, I was still living in the dark. I didn't move to Dublin until the late 80s, mm. you know, and I didn't think I was missing too much in Dublin, to be honest, you know, it was, uh, I was teaching in the dark at the time, part-time, you know, nothing big, but uh, I was enjoying that, you know, playing. But in some of the records that I really liked, you know, and, and with all the, the other stuff, you know, people were good. I think we, we always benefited from the influence from the North. Mm. And even back then, I would go to Belfast to buy records more than Dublin because Belfast had far better record shops. Really? Yeah, much better, yeah. Wow. Um, I think maybe because back then, you know, you had this whole thing of the charts were based on sales from shops, mm. right? So the record companies would sell, would send good stuff to but the Belfast shops, even the Newry shops, in the hope that sales would get the record into the chart. You know, okay. you know, whereas and Larry said the important was in Port Judy and everything. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Pat Egan and, and a couple of other good shops in, in Dublin, but no, no, Belfast was much better. So, some of those records I'm selling off now, I, I you know, I'd every remember every record where I got it. Mm-hmm. You know, but, well, yeah, that, that was the Belfast one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the eighties, I think I said, was it was for people that it was the early nineties when clubs like uh, say, I think it was nineteen ninety one was a whole span of clubs opened up like Rero opened up. Mm-hmm. I think in nineteen ninety and that was one of the first places I had bar extension. You know, mm-hmm. it was made a big difference. People were in sipping wine and Is this Rero that would have been at the in the globe? Exactly at the globe, yeah. yeah. So it, it opened up first was called Shampoo down in the basement of that mm-hmm. central hotel. Then and it was good and rerun. Then the pod opened up, mm. and then the kitchen opened up. And mm. suddenly, then you you clubs nearly every night of the week, and they were mm. playing good range of music. You know, from mm. uh, you know the acid jazz. He was big enough around then, and you know, uh, so certainly was a bit away from rock. You know, thank God. You know, mm. uh, and, and Irish people, as I said, I think they they, they, they do love the music. They like it. It's just the word exposed to it suddenly then the cable tv was coming in and people had access to radio stations on fm that you couldn't get before mm-hmm. you know and uh, even mtv uh, suddenly people you know, were getting into hip-hop and uh, dance music mm. and uh, you know so things start picking up in the night to stephanie from, from uh, DJ point of view, I, I didn't at that stage. I'd moved to Dublin, you know, but I, 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 I started. I got a gig on Jazz FM. That was a Dublin uh, pirate radio station. Mm-hmm. One of the first DJs on there, you know, and uh, that was great. Got to, I done some radio work on pirates and the dog. So, uh, Jazz FM was great because you could 
I could play nearly what I liked and what I wanted, more or less. Well, it was a story with like a pirate radio station. Yeah. I remember listening to someone I was even when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, was it like what? <laughs> like, how do I put this question? But why was it even? I mean, it's kind of weird to think about now. Like, I yeah. mean, what's the difference between me doing this bloody podcast and and, and pirate yeah. radio station? Like, why? Why were they like uh, quote unquote illegal? Like, illegal. Well. I guess it was licenses issued, right? And at back then, your RT obviously was stationed. Uh, yeah, well, they were fine, but you know, up until the, I think 2FM came on mm. in 1979. So before that, you'd RT Radio 1 Radio and Gale Talk, right? Mm. And they played very little pop music. Larry mm. Golden had a slot mm. on, th- on Thursday night, and there was a, a, some other ones, but very little pop music. And mm. the music they played was. Uh, it was very middle of the road, you know, really was. Uh, but you know what happened, even in, if you look at how pirates, even in the same way in the 60s in England, you know, there was a BBC radio and then the Caroline radio started on a ship, hence the name Pirate. You know, yeah. It was broadcasting and it was phenomenally successful. And BBC realised, oh, we're going to have to do something about this, and they introduced BBC Radio 1, but outlawed the pirates then, mm. you know. And, you know, so Ireland was, pirates came in then in Ireland about 76, again, they weren't playing much punk now, but there was a few stations, you know, like, a lot of the DJs are still going to Dave Dan, Fanning, uh, Ian Dempsey, they all started on Pirate uh, Radio Dublin, Big D, Mm. Uh, lots of those and they were all walking like a, somewhere like with equipment you know a bit more um, probably bulky than what you have yeah. because it was the old 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 school stuff but they had a, a transmitter that would um, you know probably beam to somewhere on the mountains uh, and transmit that around Amazing. the town you know, or somewhere high and they were so popular you know because there was that's a sort of hunger for it there yeah absolutely and, you know and then RT, RT did get Radio 2 into place and then, but still, you know, that like I think certainly with Jazz FM coming on board, you know, there was nobody really playing black music in our in in two FM even in the late night stations and that or dance music really, you know. So in the mid nineties, like pirates like Jazz FM and uh, Power FM uh, came on board again. And again, they were illegal, hmm. you know, but. They were filling the gap, you know, and it was pre-internet radio, really, and certainly pre-Spotify, you know, so uh, you weren't hearing this music, really, uh, in Dublin, mm. except for those pirates. So it was great to be on them. But, um, uh, would you have, like, described the... So when were you just purely playing music, or would you have been introducing the songs and where they come from? What yes, yes. And, and hindsight, I, would have, I should have done more talking. You know, I, I always thought, no, I never, like, hear people talking, just play the music. And, yeah. But probably people would have liked to know a little bit more about mm. them. But I would have introduced them. I had a thing, I think I played nearly three records, and then we'd talk about what I played, mm. like what I was going to play next. Certainly not every record, you know. Mm. Um, but um, I shouldn't was I don't think it was even mobile phone sound. They were yeah. just coming in, remember? Because so there's very little interaction with your audience. Yeah, you know, emails even weren't that big. So then, so you how know, did you know people were actually listening? You didn't really, you know, like it, it's like uh, you you can tell from this, you can see if people do it. But then it's just, but that's the way it was, you know. And sometimes, certainly, out in the shed, up at the top of out in Sandyford or wherever we were. 
do it for three hours. You wonder, yeah, just it's pure passion. Here. No, pure passion, no, absolutely, and uh, it was great. And um, it, yeah, you, I think you did miss having some kind of feedback or lunch, but you people would tell you to listen, and you'd be surprised. Oh my God, you somebody actually tuned in. You know that new <laughs> great, um, but. Yeah, uh, it would have been. I think. Oh, what was saying? It's funny though. I get the same feeling with this. Yeah, uh, yeah. I get. Obviously, it's totally different. I get statistics and everything, yes. but it doesn't feel like anybody. You know, like what's yeah. a number? I know. But when someone comes up to you and says, "I listen to yeah, that," you're like, really? yeah. <laughs> Indeed. It was. It's the same like what we were doing. I did a fanzine run the punk time as well. That's where I got to magazines too. With myself, my brother started a fanzine called Too Late, which documented the, the sort of the. The youth scene and the dog and the music scene and run by our own group and other groups and stuff like that and we sold copies in Dublin too and you know there was a good fancy scene in Dublin in the late seventies which was the whole DIY this guy sub published to go up and do it you know all you need is photocopier and write out your Amazing. you know so and a lot of it was handwritten Dutch wow uh, typewriters you know we didn't have that then but again we knew how many copies we sold. But uh, we didn't even have a phone in our house, you know. Like to get a phone back in the seventies to house, we had to wait a year. It cost a lot of money, mm. you know. So you had to wait a year. Yeah, well, yeah. So any correspondence we got about the uh, um, the the, the fancy whatever came in through letters, mm. you know, and it was great to get those, you know. Yeah, imagine. And we we got some nice stuff. Um, and some threats as well. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But um, it, it it was great, yeah. That was good. But yeah, even the other phones, you know, nobody in their state. I think it was two houses on phones, and they were the people who, by getting the phone, then they're the ones who maybe got bad news that they had to give out to people. Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know, it was our people would mm-hmm. knock and says, "I'm really mm-hmm. sorry, but." My child, my wife's having a baby. I need to phone the hospital. You know, wow. can I use it? You know, that's that's the way it worked. Or, yeah. you know, uh, so yeah. So I, I think it's given me, as I said, probably one of your older interviews here, a really appreciation when, when technology makes things so much easier than what you had to do. And you know, I people people take for granted, and I think that's good that you know that they don't analyze it or. or scrutinize it as much as I would when I see, oh, you can do this. Oh my God, well, what about how, what house to do this? You know, they just take it. That's natural. I mm. see it in my own children, you know. Mm. And I think that's why I've got back into DJing again because, uh, you know, traditionally I would have played vinyl records. It's still beautiful to do it. But uh, with the advances in digital and DJ software and the hardware, it's it's a lot of fun doing it digitally. It's mm. You can do so many things and it's it's... And I mean, you know, we met up at uh, one of Monica's um, markets there and, you know, where I'd have to bring the vinyl in. Yes, it would have looked like, but I would take up much more room. Mm. I would have had to carry all those records as, yeah. as well. So, you know, I've, I've protected my back and uh, <laughs> I had a lot of fun doing it, which with a yeah. very relatively uh, easy and relatively compared to what things were like well, relatively low cost yeah. to do compared to what you would have had to do to buy all that stuff and you know the decks and everything yeah there was a lot of equipment I was surprised still even yeah, still I know. how much equipment you need to do that yeah, yeah. but still again I, I had an amp and two speakers now that you can get what's called an active speaker which the amp is built into the speaker you know, oh. so you just have the speaker potentially mm. and the amp is built into it you know wow. so again that's 
it's it's less the carry yeah they're less lead hanging around you know so you know. it's it's incredible what yeah. what has changed and what, yeah. what you can do but you're right and and i think yeah we have i don't think we often we, we do we take for granted i think people these days about what uh, possibility what opportunities we have yeah um but maybe you know it's it's still not easy like if you want to like let's say you have the opportunity to be a, a dj but you still have yeah. to put in the hard work to oh, yeah. to actually get the skills to do that you do, just yeah. because you can do more things doesn't yeah. mean you can be no, absolutely more no. things no, you, that's have, true. you still have to work hard and i think yeah. you're right because we have so many more opportunities um in life and that is amazing yeah um and I, I think people do complain too much about how it's too difficult it's actually not it's it's the, let's say the barrier to entry has is oh yes really no. been removed uh, that's like agree you know yeah. and yeah it's open you do it's it's a good point you know i've said how easier but there is a lot of work still you know and hmm. preparation and uh, you know, you need to you need to love your music and know your music. Yeah, and uh, I try to you know I try to be a little bit different by introducing something that's you know uh, not to left field, but it can work in the circumstances of where you're playing. You know, you know. So obviously, if you're uh, like I'm hoping to get back into it into DJ a little bit more now, I should expect to have a little bit more time. So mm. it was great doing the uh, gig with, uh, I used, you know, I used to DJ at the Bohemia Flea and at uh, Monica's pop-up shop. Mm. I was brilliant because it's just, it's people coming and going. You just want, there's a great vibe there because there's a great energy in the room anyway. Mm. And, you know, the, the people are coming in or most of them are clued into the sustainability end as well. Mm. And so, you know, the vibe is so good. You just want to, you know, uh, keep that going. You yeah, know, and, and yeah. don't do anything too outrageous. But uh, it's nice. I love fitting in uh, maybe two or three uh, on balls or something that yeah. would still work in the circumstances. You yeah, know, and make it keep it interesting for me and the crowd. Yeah, you know. So that was brilliant. I, I loved it anyway. Yeah. One of the reasons why I stuck around with a massive hangover that I had at the time. Yeah, um, you you said with your brother you started a fanzine in um, at some point. This kind of quite entrepreneurial, really. That you, you did that. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, of course, we didn't make any money, and it wasn't the motivation. Motivation, I think, was you know, I think it's just desire to do and create, and you know, you've we would have grown up, you know, consuming comics and then the enemy, the Musical Express, and mm. magazines like that. So, mm. you know. You know the punk thing was the realization oh you could do this mm. you know okay well uh, what are you going to write about well we've plenty to write about you know let's do this you know will people be interested in this you know probably didn't think too much about that you know we just i think believe that this is good the same way as our when we see the music yeah this is it's good you know mm. uh, again it's down to that the evening the youth 17 i was 17 Eamon was 19. Uh, and Eamon carried that on like I, I went more into the music he he he, he published about five issues and then went on did another one called Jump which is a little bit more uh, stylized you know and it, you know he did he did, he, did like, he did things like review local coffee shops back then there wasn't too many coffee shops local mm-hmm. pubs local nightclubs he interviewed people asked them you know what's the favourite songs you know and um uh, so you know it's it's i think it, you learn by doing it as well you know that's the oh, main thing you know yeah. i always encourage people you know 
you know, if someone said to me, oh, you'd be offered a gig, a DJ gig, and, you know, some people say, oh, I'm not ready. And I said, no, you're ready, you know, you have mm. to be ready, mm. you know. Um, Don't be afraid to yeah, fail or to you get back, fail, you know, make a mistake. Yeah, and... indeed, you know, because, uh, uh, yeah, mm. and so it's, a, it's for for good or for bad <laughs> that the IY ethos of plug and do things yourself, you know, without necessarily having to call it the experts at times. Yeah, you know, it's always been my uh, yeah. approach. You yeah, know. sometimes I know I should have got the experts in different things, but uh, but I certainly believe if you can do it yourself, you know, and you think you can do it, we'll do it. You know, like there's some things you ask me to maybe fix that bike or take it off. I'm not very good at that. Yeah. So yeah, me neither. Like, you know, what are you going to ask As someone who's cycled all my life, I'm still not very good at uh, changing the, um, you know, making. I, I'm I'm absolutely Monica will tell you I'm absolutely useless at anything. That, in fact, really, it's better if I don't touch it. Yeah. Um, because I'll probably make it worse. Worse. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's just not my not my thing, not my forte. Uh, I'm not particularly interested in improving that either. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. The other thing I was I was thinking then when you were speaking, like you've gone from obviously that kind of the the punk the post punk the you know disco uh, I love yeah. these kind of avenues these passions through let's say time yeah um the fanzines and then now you've embraced very much the digital area where you're, where you're yeah but you you started digitalizing photographs you started digitalizing um magazine yeah. covers yeah. And, and things like that how like how did you get into that uh two things I think one when you mentioned photographs one I, I did um, when my dad died about uh, 12, 13 years ago um, you know like and my wife's dad had just died three months earlier and I noticed when we were tidying up things and doing stuff like that some stuff was really good some mm. stuff less so and, and some stuff got thrown out mm. and I said oh you know uh, and I went up to the attic and I found a picture of my dad, my, my mother and my younger sister. And they were at breakfast at Butler's Mosley. And like, it was, mm. so it was a very nostalgic photograph for me because that one was a big three for us when we were growing up and kids, you know. Yeah. So it was the 60s. And they were really good photograph. And, but it was small. It was, you know, size of an iPhone. Mm. Uh, but when I digitized it, I found the scanner. I'd never used a scanner before. And I had lucky enough in my printer at home, I had a scanner feature. And I put it in and then it blew it. You know, made it A4 size, and it's just amazing. Wow! And I said, "Oh, okay." And straight away, I said, "That's going to be the banner for my website." Mm. And it, I had been thinking just up until that point about digitizing the fancies we just spoke to. Mm. I said to my brother, well, "We should, should digitize those because they're not on the web. You know, there's nothing up there. Like if we don't do it, nobody's going to do it." And so we didn't. So. Getting that photographs was the catalyst to start doing what I asked, I discussed with my brother. And so I started with just putting up our old fancy stuff. And then I realized that the other stuff that I had in my attic, the other fancies were out in Dublin, the other magazines, even the pop magazines from the uh, 60s, like, you know, featured Irish show bands and stuff and rock groups. None of those were online either. Mm. So, oh my God, you know, mm. these, these are just too good. So that was hence the name Brand New Retro, the Brand New Amoni was interested in digitizing stuff that wasn't already up there. Yeah. But also yeah. stuff that I liked that I found interesting for whatever reason. Yeah. So I just started the blog and it just grew and grew. And then, you know, it, it, it soon took shape that I had a lot of stuff that could be categorized as either music, fashion, you know, uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, sport, even you know, uh, you know, I had very, I didn't, wasn't interested in politics. I think that was had been, we worked as a whole. Ireland is pretty good at politics and it's well covered, but this area hadn't been, you know. Mm-hmm. And I said culture, okay. culture, yeah, and, and culture that I was interested in, you know, and so and stuff that I had a lot of uh, original material that wasn't up there. So it was a hobby, you know, I do it at night time. But I enjoyed actually, I got my web skills up to speed, realized, mm. oh, you know, I learned um, how WordPress could work. And, you know, that was really educational and yeah. it worked well for me. Um, and from getting the website up and then building up a following as such, um, I, I did. I put a book out there in 20, uh, 2015. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and that's essentially featured the best bits of what I put up on the website. You know, uh, I had a friend, Joe Collins, who, uh, who is a designer and he works in advertising as well as it happens. So he had a great interest in, in working with me and he did, he did a great job in, in the layout of the pages and that helped me put the book together. So we got Can that you get out. that book online somewhere? Uh, you can. Um, it's the, and it's still available in some bookshops, you know, uh, the publisher was Liberty's Press. And uh, you can still get it. It's, it's, I know Chapter still had it at a reduced rate recently, you know, they might have more up now. Mm. It's called Brand New Retro. Hope they do a second book anyway. Oh, in the future now, yeah. Um, Similar theme? Yeah, similar theme, but it may be a different uh, approach. Uh, there wasn't much narrative in the last one, you know. I, I could see from my website that people are more interested in, in the images that they don't want to read that much about it, you know. Mm. But I found that in some cases, some of the things are really worth uh, digging deeper. And uh, I over the last six years now, nearly, I do a monthly column with Totally Dublin magazine. Brilliant. So I've seen, I've seen that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so every month there's uh, there's a brand new retro page. Amazing. Uh, so last month, for example, I had this ad for a guy from 1970 for Star Trek, which was it says Europe's biggest mobile discotheque. Okay. And it was by a man, my old by a man from uh, lives in Port Marnock. and basically the ad was a big full page ad. It was a trade music magazine. It said, uh, "Is your ballroom empty?" You know, because at that stage, the showbats were dying, okay. right? And discotheques were coming in, and yeah. modern discotheques in Dublin. And this Hans Lignan was his name. He had this idea to bring state-of-the-art, great lighting, great sound system in a big Bedfordshire truck. If that's too hard to forget, but that's a big truck on to the ballrooms around Ireland. And that's what he did. And he had go-go dancers with him and everything, and oh, Star Trek with lights and DJ. <laughs> so, and the great thing was, so, that's Hans is still alive and living in Australia and we got in touch and we spoke about it and he said would you like to be interviewed for the uh, for the page yeah and he said yeah sure so like it's a short page it's only 500 words so it has to be quite concise but it was great talking to him and, and getting that story told there so um, and then brilliant. it is and then this one it's, it's just out now actually um, the June issue I heard on the radio that uh, someone said that they were brought on a school tour to the Mary Quant factory in Cabra. Okay. And when they were a kid. Yeah. I said, what? You know, <laughs> I've, I've lived in Cabra for the last 30 years, 33, 30 plus years, and I never heard that. Yeah. So I started investigating and uh, I, I did find out it wasn't actually a Mary Quant factory, it was a, a, a Gala 
cosmetic factory, okay. but they did manufacture very quant no products. Way. Yeah, so I, I went through my archive and I did find two beautiful color very quant uh, ads. You know, to really? go with the with the with the feature. So yeah. very much the monthly column. It's normally starts with an image that I have that I, I'm curious to find out more about it, yeah. and it's a good image that's going to work in the magazine. You yeah. know, it's going to look good. So this, I really like this one because the Mary. I never had that. I didn't see the Mary Quant dance before, but I never knew there was Irish connection. You know, yeah, or never never mind a Cabra connection. Yeah, and you know, so I am. That's again. That's it's brand new. It's a, it's a, it's kind of a new story. That both of those things in some ways before. It's not the history books anywhere. So I like I like unearthing those stories. I like unearthing the original ads and the imagery. So uh, I'm always on the lookout for old from magazines, particularly from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, because that's where I'll find a lot of uh, imagery that is not already online, mm. and that it's normally very reflective of society back then as well mm. that's just the ads but you know the features that might have about whether it's how to do your hair or what fashions are happening or even the proper pages they're featured there as well mm. you know and they're very insightful and uh, very uh, heartbreaking at times yeah you know? Um, you know they say sometimes that you can the best way to predict the future is to to look at the past mm. Um does this give it ever come into your mind? Do you ever have any thoughts of like, or patterns like you might you might yeah, be looking at something yeah. you, say, you might be saying, "Geez, there's something similar like that's happening now." Or oh yeah, yeah, definitely, and yeah, it's it, it, it's true. It, it does go in cycles, uh, whether it's fashion, music, music. I think it's less so now because it's so. Um, is it not dispersed not the word I'm using for but you know there'll never be one look I don't think really like even today mm. I don't know what's today's look hairstyles mm. you know a lot of people are wearing it long mm. you know men for example some people are still getting the shortcut mm. uh, you know but there's it's not just one thing you know mm. as you look the 60s nearly everybody was they said they're the 60s short hair suits mm. they 60s longer hair you know mm. um there's much more diversity now, I yeah. guess, in, in there. But yes, definitely, you can see it. Like, if you take something like, you know, Irish pop culture, obviously, is my thing. But if you look at, say, 70s Roxy music, you know, Roxy music, they were kind of part of the, the, that land period, you know, mm-hmm. and, and very, you know, had put a lot of thought into their uh, their look as well as the music, you know. And then, you know, the new romantic scene, like that, came along about 10, 12 years later, 10 years later. Mm. even less and you know they, they copied a lot of what they had done you mm. know and so music goes through and fashion goes through stages and then again people either get tired of it and they'll go back f- for inspiration to things mm. you know and uh, mm. so i think but that's what's great i really like about the stuff that i earned there to, that i do publish is is that for younger people like mm. yourself mm. it's your first time seeing it you know i might remember it because yeah. it's from like the period you know mm. and, I, and, and but for you it's the first time and your reaction could be wow that's, that's amazing i never knew we had that kind of thing in our yeah. look at the colors on this or yeah. look at the hair on this or <laughs> uh, and even though it's an ad potentially and it's probably exaggerated you know yeah. uh, you know if it's advertising but there is other you know uh, stuff i think you will get a different inspiration or will have a different impact on you it might have no impact at all you might think oh that's you know whatever but i think it's exciting because i have seen stuff that i put up that obviously people have taken and used and you know i don't know 
Uh, you would think maybe God inspired to do something similar, but in a different style, you know. Mm, you know? Amazing. Yeah. How do we find um, Totally Dublin? Uh, oh, Totally Dublin is uh, available uh, for free and uh, comes out every month. And it's you'll get it in a lot of uh, pubs, cafes, uh, restaurants and uh, events. Uh, so, for example, I'd normally go to the IFI. There's always yeah. a pile of them in there. And, you know, the... Uh, uh, St George's Arcade. It's all yeah. the part of the bid there. You I know. love that place. And, uh, I think I picked one up before in uh, Hen's Teeth. Yeah, uh, oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. Which is in Dublin 8. It's a lovely place, yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think yeah I... Michael, the editor, actually, has done a couple of talks there where he's interviewed. Not recorded, just more a, a live interview with someone who is uh, visiting uh, DJ or, or artist or something. So, uh, yeah, hence the uh, But uh, on the Dublin, totally Dublin website, it, there's a section where to find us. There's a list of uh, uh, places mm. where you can pick it up, you know. Mm. And, uh, and I'm also going to, I'm going to include a link to, to Brand New Retro as well oh, yes, um, yeah. in this. Um, maybe you can, if you want, you can send me a link to, to the book too, or maybe we can yeah. find that through the blog. Okay. And um, whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to know. Maybe it's it's been amazing. I think we could probably talk about so many different things for for a really long time. It's been great, like hearing these stories. Um, but I'm interested to know, like, what you think of Dublin now. Well, in 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 its current state. Yeah. What's what are your what are your thoughts on it? Um, I mean, not like. Let's not talk about accommodation or anything oh, yeah, like that. Yeah. Let's talk about the culture. Culture, yeah. Oh, I think it's, I love it. I mm. think it's way, way better. Mm. As I said earlier, I have no kind of robotic uh, retrospective on the times. You know, I, I mean, I'm always careful not to, to paint such a dim, or sorry, a, a dim or a blue picture, grey picture. But sometimes even when I remember and do research for stuff for talk about the 80s, that it was, it was just not as exciting, not as diverse, not as colourful um, as it is now. It's definitely, um, it's way, way better, you know, and, and things like, and things that's happening, things that are important to me is the music. It would be, obviously, uh, that there's places I'd like to have for my children to go to you know, uh, for young people to go to. I think that's so important yeah. uh, for meeting other people, for dancing. You yeah. know, dancing is so important. And um, you can do that now. I know there are issues and obvious accommodation and, uh, uh, you know, get to give us the night. People are working very hard to, to get more night yeah. venues. But I think that people are being creative in doing things. Like even uh, the market uh, said the Bohemian Fleet, for example, there's music there. And I think it plays a part of uh, the atmosphere. I think even the Fleet there, last Sunday was so busy. It was oh. great. And, yeah. you know, what I was in Dublin, there was never really a strong market until um, the, 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 the Dublin Fleet and Newmarket in the, uh, oh, how many long was that? Uh, about 2005, I'd say, you know. But before that, there was small little markets here and there, very small, you know. That yeah. was. That was what to look forward to. You know, really shame. That same as maybe it's only once a month. 
Yeah, you I know. know. It's it's yeah. so much fun. Yeah. I love being there. Yes. I mean, Monica probably hates me because I just walk around <laughs> talking to people. <laughs> well, there you go. And, you know, and the people are very friendly and yeah, chatty. Yeah. And even if they're busy, they'll be happy to talk to you. And they've got great stories, you know, and sad stories and, yeah. and yeah. All, all ages, you know, and all different types of people look for different things. Mm. So... To me, it's a hobby. Like I, 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 I just love being there. I, uh, I think it's it's part of what's great about uh, Dublin now for me. I would because uh, if you go to any other city abroad, you know the first thing you look up is what days the fleas are, where they on, what yeah. time, make sure I'm there early. It's part of the experience. Buying a, a something and a feel like that is a better souvenir than buying. Mm. souvenir and the equivalent of a car's shop yeah. or something like that it's it's about your journey it's about what was important to you at the time yeah you know so it's great like i said i even um but pop-up in mm. my it's like a not beautiful old building yeah you know it's you know you want yeah. uh, you just don't want the routine you know there uh, we have you know the high street shops Although you want something different yeah uh, and you will find something unique there as well yeah you know? yeah so i know i like dublin I, I i love it i think it's way better uh way way better you can't compare it with what it was like in the uh, 70s and 80s you know as i said when i i i probably could have moved here earlier from the dock but i, I didn't happen until the late 80s um and Thankfully, things were picking up then anyway, you know. So, yeah. uh, but I had no real desire to move. I didn't see it as a capital city. I didn't see it as a place of uh, an exciting place. Mm. Uh, but I, I did, uh, mm. you know, and, uh, uh, and it, it's great. I think that you, the people on your podcast, even if you use it's great to hear somebody even coming over. I know you mentioned about somebody from Madrid or leaving, you know, mm. but a lot of them have stayed and stayed a long time. Absolutely. That's, that says a lot, I think. Yeah, absolutely. You know, yeah. Someone like Vanessa, who's coming, like, especially from Barcelona, mm. and she stayed here, you know, like, you know, she, she's making it work, you know, she's, 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 she's got a, she's got great energy and mm. uh, outlook and positivity. So, um, yeah, I think it says a lot, you know. It you really know. does. Yeah. yeah. Brian, thank you so much. That was a really enjoyable chat. Thank well you, Mark. Thank yeah. you.